What's up, ladies and gentlemen, weebs and weebets? Welcome back to an episode of the Good Anime Palette Podcast. Not a standard EP, nor a fluffy little BP, but we're actually going into an After Dark episode. Yes, we are doing an AD recording. This one is AD 13. Uh, we're not necessarily doing this because we're trying to bring back the AD scheme, but uh, it's more the fact that this topic is not really an EP or BP. It's kind of neither here or there. Uh, a lot of dry facts, but still um, an opportunity for both Jason and I to um, speak our mind or maybe rant about a couple of things. Um, so, yeah, as mentioned, Jason is sitting by me. How are you doing, buddy? When you stare at the abyss, Will, the abyss stares back at you. I'm ready to embark on this after dark journey into the shithousery that is corporations and monoliths yeah we're, we're truly going into some real darkness here so um just as a as a preface uh we will be talking about anime production processes and anime executive production committees so we've had an episode before we talked about the actual like production process in terms of adapting and animating and basically circulating anime around the world but this time around we're going to go a little bit behind the scenes and look into the nitty-gritty of how we got there in the first place where the money comes from how it's used and who actually has you know the biggest say in how anime is distributed or even produced uh, in this current climate. You got to follow the money, and that's what we did. We, uh, I actually did a lot of research into this topic, and because this topic actually we have been putting off for quite a bit of time because uh, even though this is like a big deal within the anime production process, uh, the anime news article that kind of spurred this in us to kind of do something uh, uh, like an episode on it was from a while back, and I rewatched that YouTube video. Yeah, so, that video by Toshio Okada that came out like what six, seven months ago, earlier this year. Yeah, and we will put a decent amount of these links into the show description, just because I think just so that everyone is like aware of like what these production committees do and in charge of and also understand what the fuck we're talking about too yes yeah. so uh we are just i mean do you want to just go yeah um there's not really a whole lot of positive stuff that i want to say but let's at least sort of break down how production committees work mm-hmm. and what their place is in the whole sphere of anime production so let me set the scene for uh you guys dear listeners Aren't, uh, let me first start by the thing that GAP is always well known for, disclaimers and definitions. But let me lay the kind of like the foundation of things. I think a very popular misconception that a lot of people say, isn't anime flourishing these days? And in essence, the answer is 100% yes. So according to the AJA, which we have referenced in the past, we will provide a link in the show description, the Association of Japanese Animation. So essentially... The anime. Group, anime, okay? They, they know. So in 2021, they... So, okay, just so that we're clear, the 2022 report reports on the preceding year because obviously data has to accumulate in order for them to make a report. So yes, the most up-to-date report is 2022, which talks about 2021, okay? Because believe it or not, the year is not finished yet. Yeah, and uh, as of recording, we're going to release it I think like a month later than we're recording. So who knows? Maybe stuff has changed. But as it stands, as of recording, everything that we say is up to date. So 
2021 year has 2.72 trillion yen injected into the anime industry, which is 113.3% more than the previous year. So 13% uh, more. Uh, and then in 2020, it has 2.426 trillion yen, which unfortunately is 96.5% from yeah. the previous year. So it was the first time in like 10 years or like at least in consecutive years that the market actually shrunk a bit. Yes. And then the year before that is 2.511 trillion yen in 2019, 115.1% of the previous year. It is important to note two things about these three numbers in three years. The first of which is unfortunately COVID-19 affected a lot of it. Mm -hmm. As you can tell by the middle number, the lower number of the three. Then it has been recovering. So that's why there was growth this year. Unfortunately, the other thing is even though the 2019 number is extremely high of 2.511 trillion yen, it's actually due to the Mugen train effect. So if we exclude that, I'm it's fair to say that the growth is much lesser. But who knows what that proportion is because we didn't go too deep into that. But that's just to give you uh, to dispel rumors that yes it is flourishing okay so that is true so why are animation studios closing why are animators like losing their minds losing their health losing their jobs and basically the topic is that to do with the topic of this episode is to do with money and a large portion of why is due to what we will now call executive production committee or production committees will probably interchange these terms uh, or call them EPC or PC for short. But for argument's sake, those are kind of like the main players of today's discussion. Yep. And then you might say, hey, don't animation studios earn a shit ton of money, especially since like, hey, anime as an industry is thriving. And the answer is a bit gray. It's yes and no. And we will explain more in depth very, very soon. But as of right now, I'll just say, in general, animation studios do not earn the big bucks. It, the privilege goes to these production committees. Which yeah, is, you might, yeah, you might be thinking like, oh, well, what about like UFO Table or Wood Studio and whatnot? They must be doing really fucking well. Well, it wasn't that long ago that Wood Studio, the exec, had an issue with tax evasion. So, um, yeah. yeah. Like, like, that's a big deal. And then, like, what, they stored money in, like, their cafes or something? It was weird. And uh, we will obviously go into exceptions. I think KyoAni is another one that is like their own production committee and their own animation studio. So we will try our best to be as broad and as encompassing as well as address some of the exceptions. But don't nitpick as much as you can because we try to be as accommodating and nitpicking our own arguments as well. So you might say, what the fuck is production committees i've never heard of them i've never seen them and actually you or, probably or it's like hey like ufo table produced demon slayer right so they're the production committee yeah they're the animation studio that's accredited right not always the case yeah in fact it's almost never the case and actually you have very very likely in fact almost all of you are very likely to have seen the names of the production committees you just didn't know what they were or you thought that they were the same thing with animation studios. So in short, as defined by Funimation, 
in uh, March 2020 in an article, what does it mean to be on an anime production committee? It is essentially a group of people and organizations that bankroll the production of the anime. It is a joint venture subsidiary company created by various entities with the goal of producing a form of entertainment, which in this case is anime. And it's established where people are awarded certain rights, such as merchandising, overseas distribution, etc. And here is the part where we have to quote, but you have to be careful because they say, these investments help to minimize the risk to any one company by spreading costs while allowing them to make money in their field of expertise. Yeah, keep that in mind for the rest of this discussion. So, in principle, then, therefore, executive production committees or production committees are the main party that essentially bankrolls, provides the money, and therefore... They earn the biggest dough. And they, in like a business transactional sense, deserves the biggest reward slash profit slash revenue because they are the ones either paying for it or incurring the risk. But I'm being very, very technical as in from a business transaction. This is is legitimately what what it means to be on a production committee. And I think one of the things that a lot of people might feel that it's very like where, like what is this, is actually it shows up in the OP and EDs. Yep. And sometimes... Even if you skip the OPs and EDs, like on Netflix, when you press, like, I think I or something to skip it. I didn't even realize there was a hotkey to skip. Oh, there is. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I, I use it every once in a while. The last thing you see sometimes is, like, the last frame of the opening sequence, which is the executive committee. So you, they even skip out on the animation studio and just focus on the animation committee because that's the last thing you see. Yeah. So that's kind of funny to me. I mean, they're the ones paying for this anime to be on the air, right? So you better see it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that I think when you look at, like, movie posters of live actions, like, take, like, any Marvel film, right? The order in which the cast is presented, even in the movie studio, like, like movie credits, or in the poster, like, who gets top billing, they call it, or, like, front and center, like, poster look is actually in the contracts and discussed and negotiated therefore it might not seem very apparent but even to that level of intricacy is argued negotiated part of deals yeah it's not as simple as like oh how much screen time this person had or like did this person was this the first person on screen and therefore like ones that come afterwards they, they don't do it in terms of like appearance order they don't do it in terms of like how much time elapsed in terms of how much you know screen time they got no it's it's because it was all negotiated purely on the basis of monetary reasons yeah i mean if you uh if we put it in anime or in a more conventional way uh things like oh directed by like christopher nolan or animated by mappa studio it's kind of like the either the second last or the last thing you see in the credits whether it is in the credit sequence or when they do their you know op or ed equivalent that is actually very deliberate or when you know when they have like uh Sometimes in credits, you know, they might show like the actor playing as so and so. And then you might have noticed they will show probably the lead actor first and then they go down the list. And all of a sudden they will say, and starring this and this. And usually those are kind of like the veterans, right? And they're like the last two. But actually, the way that it's structured is the first person gets the most amount of credits. 
the last person is usually like the veteran, the one you respect the most, and the people in the middle are the least credited. But in the case of production committees, there's a hierarchy. There's always a committee head, and the ones proceeding down the rank is the ones who invest the least amount of money. Yeah. So you might be thinking, okay, well then, I guess that just means if there's one big head, then okay, cool. Then uh, I can go ahead and throw some money into a production committee and then get myself on the board. No, that's not how it works, unfortunately, because it is a self-ruled law that there is a limit to how many companies can invest into a property because they don't want to dilute the amount of investment and spread that risk in order for the other companies who did put a little bit of money in, but for them to also earn a percentage, a chunk of whatever profits come through. So usually it's like, what is it, like a limit of like eight or 10 companies uh, that could be part of a prediction committee? So according to Japanese legislation or or in certain cases like house rules believe it or not and i think i will use a lot of like uh analogy to poker because it's actually quite applicable um in terms of money there's essentially like three things that i kind of focused on and I, and will we can like you know vibe off of it or focus on and then and then we can talk about how that affects like the production side of the anime itself but i think like the revenue who gets to front the cost and the budget. So even before there is any talks of someone starting or animating any frame of animation, these are the three things from the get-go are affected by the production committee. So the first thing is, Will, you mentioned about the budget, right? Yeah. First of all, by law, only one representative of each studio, I'm sorry, of each industry is allowed. So that's kind of crazy, first of all. So it's not, they say in principle, this being the Japanese legislations and or organizations that usually are in these production committees, they say that it is to prevent an all-out bidding war. Now, I guess in certain ways that is a legitimate claim. Yeah, it, it evens the playing ground, right? In terms of like, if, if it was all-out bidding, then the biggest companies will always win out. And you don't want to create that kind of monopoly. But that also then means that it's it allows for the ones who are in the monopoly and want to maintain a monopoly to kind of gerrymander things around. Yes. And look, this is it might sound very boring and dry, but it actually has a huge impact on the anime that we all know and love and how things are worked and addresses all of these concerns about health, wage problems, long hours, because also it's not like in your face apparent because it's like kind of like behind the scenes stuff. So it's really hard to figure it out. So you can forgive us slightly by kind of laying the ground rules, the foundation. So it is a bit dry, but trust me, we will get into the commentary and the shit that, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're waiting for. You're waiting for. So first of all, yeah. These animation studios have essentially a stranglehold on the money, the revenue, and who gets to play at the table. So, first of all, it's one representative per industry. So you can't have a, a like either a mini bidding war of like the representative from like a music industry because obviously OPs and EDs, uh, 
in terms of promoting certain music artists are a big deal. But you can't have certain record companies fight amongst themselves and you kind of pick the most appropriate one or have each of them kind of bid each other out. You can only have one winner, so to speak. And then that's it. No, even if you earn, like, even if you were willing to invest a lot of money, doesn't matter. If you just so-and-so win the seat, you get to sit at the table. It doesn't matter how much resource, how much money others have. They just can't participate. Yeah, there has to be some sort of e- <clears throat> uh, some sort of equal representation across the board. Right. Then you might be like, as Will uh, mentioned earlier, like, oh, I'm just some rich millionaire weeb. Why can't I just bankroll the whole thing? Well, unfortunately, in order to get included, even if you exclude the one representative per industry rule, you actually have to vote it into the inner circle, which is governed by the members of the production committee. You some, should... some real Illuminati talk yeah, right here. So, yeah, so and unfortunately, though, it's not <clears throat> conspiratorial because it actually happens on a day-to-day basis. And you might be like, how does that work? Well, then you go into the numbers game of the proportion of money that is invested by these different players. Because you might think, oh, okay, let's say you know, 100% of the money that is put into the anime from beginning to end, 100%, right? Or, and, or even like this. Let's say, like, you you are, like, the main head of this committee, and you're going to put in, like, $250 million okay. into anime production. Mm-hmm. And I want to make the best anime there is. Give me the one property you want. Uh, actually, sir, uh, we can't do that because we don't want to incur the risk of just one property. So what we're going to do is with your investment of $250 million, we're going to spread it across 25 properties. So each property gets $10 million. But but why wouldn't I... What if I just want one thing? No, because we also want to diversify the money so that each studio itself has equal opportunity to be able to make something and if one thing were to grow then we have a steady portfolio of decently performing productions it is in a way very like structured pr legal speak and on the other way you look at it it is bullshit because essentially by it's not as simple as i give you a blank check of x amount of dollars into this anime and then they accept it they will can Accept it, but then they distribute it as they please, and there's nothing really you can do about it. Even if, like, you think you have all the money in the world, you unfortunately do not have all the say in the world, or it's split such that you can't have a monopoly of power. And that's both good and bad, to be honest, right? Yeah, you might be thinking, it's like, well, it's it's cool to just diversify stuff, right? Like, I mean, some will do well and some won't do well. I mean, of course, maybe a $250 million production could also blow the fuck up and rake in like $2 billion. Like, that would be great. Well, the way it breaks down is with these committees, it's not so much like, oh, we're, gonna, we're just going to take this much money and that's it. No, it's always a percentage cut. Right, whether it comes to distribution rights, broadcasting rights, domestic and international, comes into merchandising and image rights and whatnot. So there's always going to be a percentage. So sixty or seventy, whatever number it is, a percentage across. We don't know yeah, actually. Percentage across twenty-five properties under two hundred fifty million dollars is not the same as percentage under one property under two hundred fifty million dollars. Correct. Now, so first of all, who gets to pay? Or front the cost we already said is is like like fixed and like you can kind of manipulate it as you please then you'd be like oh the revenue split 
So, oh, if you put in the most amount of money, you should, statistically speaking, get the most amount of profit. And that is both a, a, the right thing and the wrong thing or not a good thing at the same time. Because, unfortunately, you're assuming, for example, that let's say that you're, you're, you're sitting at the committee table. The amount of percentage gained by each individual is not evenly distributed. So then you might be like, oh, okay, that makes sense because like, if you put in more money, like for example, you're the committee head, you might, you know, get more percentage back. That makes sense, right? And I'm like, yeah, but actually, it's rarely like eight people or like that one person has like twenty different sh like percentages. Because if you think about it from like a business transaction, when you want to rake in the profit, like let's say Demon Slayer, for example. Okay, it's not like just take that as in like a hype property, a property that's guaranteed to make money. You would want to invest as much because it's easy money back right you're gonna if you can get supposedly yeah. supposedly yeah. right so no one wants to invest one to three percent especially if they are able to bankroll it to a certain extent they want a bigger trunk they want the whole pie exactly so the revenue we have not talked about the animation studio because i'm going to tell you right now the animation studio basically sees in almost most cases, right? There's always exceptions, like things like Youthful Table and KyoAni being those exceptions. The, those aside, almost not, I would say 90% of the time, and this is just the yeah. overwhelming majority, what happens is the animation studio gets a fixed lump sum fee, and that's it. Usually the royalties are not really considered with the exception of traditional merchandising usually physical media that's why you hear a lot about you know whether it is like any tubers or people be like oh buy their blu-ray set to support them because contractually speaking because well obviously we can't see those contracts we don't know for sure but through like third party like uh you know like you know anecdotal evidence that's where animation studios gets to rake in some of the revenue and or profit so, yes. And again, it's it's not a consistent nor sustainable model either. Because print media is dying. Merchandising so. is very inconsistent. And very expensive in certain cases. Because on one hand, it takes a lot to produce when it's low quantity. Also, no one really buys it. It's so much multifaceted complex such that they're willing to give that to animation studios in general. Yeah. And sometimes not even that, okay? So, so yeah, you might think, oh, ten million dollars to a company to, to produce an anime. That that sounds like a good amount of money. I'm sure they can, you know, spread that and also get enough people to work on it. Well, yeah, the no. money also then also includes distribution yeah. rights. Yeah, let's we'll we'll get know, into that. That kind of stuff. It's it's never like just because you put in this much money, you get this much money back. It's it's never one plus one equals two. Right. <laughs> uh, so we will definitely spend a good amount of time talking about how these production committees actually many ways decide the fate of the budget or the animation studio and all that stuff in the production process in a, in a, in a little bit. But even before that, let's talk about something that is not apparent to many called capped budget. So this is kind of like, I can't really figure out if it's an unwritten rule or like an organizational rule or whatnot, is that because this ragtag group of businessmen and corporations forms a committee it is therefore not considered by law to in japanese law 
to be an organization because it's kind of like an impromptu subsidiary. I think the technical it's like a summit of sorts. Yeah, it's a. I think the technical term is instead of an organization, they call it subsidiary because after it's over, it breaks apart. That's why the last thing you see at the credits is usually like, oh, Spy X Family Production Committee, and that's it, or that name of that anime production committee and you'd be like what the fuck is that that is essentially this quote-unquote group ragtag group of businessmen forming together to bankroll the anime so what does this got to do with this so-called cap budget jason there is a rule that whoever fronts the most amount of dough no one can exceed that amount meaning in if using wills like you know, let's say $10 million, right? Let's say you are the most amount that you put in. Yeah, let's say I put in $5 million. You're right. not going to see somebody come in and say, oh, okay, I'll put in $5 million too. And then we'll oh, do- no, you uh, can. You can't put in $5 million and $1. Yeah. But even then, you probably won't be able to put in $5 million because that will cause, quote-unquote, friction within exactly. the distribution. Exactly. It's like sharing equal rights between two companies. That's when it starts creating some fission between the two. Or fission between others who wants to get in on it. Yeah, because it's like, you fronted the 5 mil, you fronted 5 mil, then what the fuck do we put in? Right, exactly. So then, the, but in that situation, you might think, oh, well, what if I just say, oh, you put in 5, you put in 5, well, I want a bigger piece of pie, so I put in 10. So everyone wins out because we have more money to, to go to pump into the project. I incur all the risk. You guys don't have to worry about or it. Or you, I incur more because I paid for yeah. half of the 20, whereas each of you paid 5. And remember earlier I said they are mitigating the risk by distributing it out. The problem is I can't actually, in this hypothetical situation, give out the $10 million front, even though I might have it. Because the rule is no committee member can exceed the max. So someone, usually the committee head, by default will be like, I want a certain percentage of the revenue, so therefore I'm going to front X amount of money. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the rules and rates and proportions are set such that you can't exceed that amount of money and therefore cannot exceed that amount of profit and revenue and control. It's a display of soft power, essentially. Even if you have more money than me, all I got to do is be the first to put my vote in, my bid in, and you can't outbid me. And That's then, legit. That's the, yeah. legitimately it. And because there is the limit of one representative per industry... It then also prevents kind of competitiveness between uh, players within that industry. Yeah. So you might think, oh, limiting it means that you're, you're demonopolizing it. No, you're actually creating a monopoly within like multiple monopolies. It's one of those things where it actually sounds good on paper. But when you think about the loopholes and you think about it in practice, there is ways to exploit that system such that the original thing that you strive for or the original thing that you say you strive for actually is very disingenuous. So cap budget, then therefore, because you can't exceed that limit or you can't even get close to that limit anyways, then trickles down to the animation process. So I think, Will, is there anything you want to comment on to anything pre-animation production? It's just a lot of scummy work in the shadows right because in the end right like as you mentioned if there's a cap you know the game you know the rules doesn't mean you don't know ways to bending the rules 
And it's not to say that people are doing things illegally. They're just asserting enough. In fact, they're very yeah. careful about that. Exactly. And they're playing the rules to their advantage by making sure that if there's something that goes down and they can use anything in the book to gain an advantage, they will. And it might sound like they're just doing stuff by the books. This is just completely legal. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's good. You know? Yeah, I think the way to really differentiate this fine line is having an advantage versus exploiting something. If you have an advantage as a cons- as as just like a regular human being, you always want something that's advantageous towards you rather than having a disadvantage. That makes sense, right? But when you exploit something, the word exploit means you abuse it or you take advantage of something that inherently shouldn't be allowed or is beyond someone's control or right? ethically or morally, right? But I think it is not fair to say that just because you have an advantage doesn't mean you should not use it. But when you exploit it, that becomes a problem. And unfortunately, there is a lot of exploitation. And so we talked about who gets to play at the table, who gets to front the cash. That already is like really restrictive. Then how much is paid out? in terms of the revenue split, profit split, is also fixed to a certain extent or manipulated. And then finally, the budget is capped. So in almost all facets, before anyone animates any frame of animation, all this has to be laid out, signed, and negotiated. And it actually sets a precedent for how everything else is going to happen, namely making the anime itself so already it's like shit in terms of like being going through loopholes exploited fucked up but believe it or not the animation studio probably has little to no say in any of this at all yeah we'll explain that a bit later because let's just cut out all that dry talk about budgets and committees and soft power and whatnot I just want to get some money now so I can get to work, right? Let's just say, okay, let's say JW Animations, right? Jason and Will Animations. We're about to be doing uh, season three of Chainsaw Man, whatever, right? Okay, so we got we got, we got lots of money. Uh, I have to say that's actually a bad example because Chainsaw Man famously does not have a production committee, and I'll get into that. That's this. That's just yeah. For, for the purpose of this specific example, let's just say we're going to be anim- animating an anime. Cool. Okay, so we got our money now. No, it doesn't look like a whole lot, but we have to make do with what we have because we can't complain. We're not on the commission. Uh, we're on the committee. We can't say or influence how much money we get. Okay, let's just let's just get to work. Um, oh shit, uh, we actually have some issues. We 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 can't uh, do this right now because we're severely understaffed. Or um, you're asking us to put together 500 panels of animation uh, by next week. Um, we, we need to hire an offshore team. We need to hire and outsource people to to do stuff for us. Could you give us more money? Uh, no. Oh no. You you. We gave you that lump sum. This is this is your budget. Yeah. Uh, okay. So oh, we, we need to hire people. Actually, uh, I'm sorry, JW Studios. It's actually not just the budget. It is all you're getting, pretty much, for the entirety of everything. Meaning, within that quote-unquote budget or that lump sum you have to factor in as the studio head uh all these wages paying for all the production side incurring all those costs and quote-unquote risks 
as well as earning money as the studio. That's how fucked up this is because you can't even increase that budget. So it's like I'm giving you $100 and you're just going to have to figure it out on your own. And when you want to increase it to 150, I'm like, bro, that's not that. No, just just figure it out, bro. Deal yeah, with it. I well, that that's not fair. I already got my team working 12 hour days. OK, then make them work 15 hours. No, actually, it won't even get that far because they they will just be like, I don't care. I already paid you. Figure it out. Figure it out. And this as a studio head, you would have then have to balance and jigger all this stuff. And when your production gets delayed, that's on you as the production side. That's we, we you gave, as the animation studio. We gave you studio. everything you needed, right? Yeah. You got the money. That's what you needed. Yeah. So even if, let's say, uh, you know, take a very hype show like, uh, you know, Hell's Paradise is pretty hype. Let's take One Punch Man, for example, is pretty hype at that time. I guess, I don't know, season three or whatever. You can't, even if you know it's going to be, for all, like, intensive purposes, a surefire hit, you're capped. Meaning, you can't, unless if, like, either you pay out of pocket, which you won't, that's all the money you're going to be able to spend in making sure that the animation quality is good or where the budget goes we always joke will and i or a lot of people joke around oh yeah. they spent all their budget on this action scene you say that more often than not they don't want to pay out of pocket unfortunately they have to they they, do. Ha- they have to because if they don't meet the deadlines they're fucked because they actually lose out more if they don't pay out of pocket because hey it gets still I'm, I'm sure to a certain extent and i'm being very generous here if it gets delayed due to certain reasons you can negotiate maybe a little bit more yeah but it, it, we're not saying we're not like painting production committees to be completely heartless and like not give you anything they're at just all. like 90 percent heartless yeah and uh so there is a little bit of heart in there so when it comes to producing the anime we just talked about like wages and scheduling right or at least you can see how it can affect then you might be like Okay, that's it, right? I mean, that, that sucks. That really does suck. But, like, what about, like, creative control? That's all good, right? Because you put it to animation studio, just like the lump sum of money, it's like a full transaction fee. So it's kind of like you figure it out, right? So creatively, you have all the freedom. Nope. No, you don't. No, no, no. We, we, we gave you the money. We didn't give you the rights. No. That's way more than just money. So the thing is that... Uh, the example that I put in the docket, which I think is applicable, is let's take a VA called Nana Mizuki, a very well-known voice actress who also is a singer by by uh, occupation, who is signed by record company. I'm not going to say who, but I'm sure you can find it if you Google it. I do know what it is. So, And let's say that representative in this production committee is that record label as the director of the anime, so complete and affiliated with the record company or Nana Mizuki, you could be either forced, coerced, or per, quote-unquote persuaded that your OP and ED has to be from the record label or Nana Mizuki in this case. Or we want to cast her because she's going to go on concert tour. So whether you like it or not, she has to be your voice actress, which granted Nana Mizuki is extremely talented, but that restricts you creatively or you might be like hey i wanted a certain tone because this production committee is saying that oh i need to use nana mizuki but like 
Nanamizuki's voice range, or I mean, there must be like some sort of like creative reasoning. I say like it's Tokyo Ghoul. You're not gonna get an idol group. To a certain extent, yes, that is true. But at the end of the day, if that rep is on the production committee, they'll be like tough shit. Not to mention as well, like we're just using a a, a music company as an example. What if this specific production company that is heading this committee, this is the studio that's heading this company also happens to own a talent agency for VAs. And you might think we're making that up. Uh, it is both fact and fiction in that we are making this up, but this is also a real thing. Uh, or let's take an example. Geek Toys is another subsidiary that we have mentioned in the past that has been various degrees of success, right? Geek Toys, just like anything with toys in their name, is all about merchandising with toys, Right. Don't you think that from a creative perspective, you are restricted sometimes with the creative process of designing a character or merchandise because you're because geek toys have a certain say in the production committee and because their industry and expertise is toy manufacturing, they therefore they care about selling toys, they care about how it looks, which makes sense from a business perspective perspective but creatively that also means that whether directly or indirectly they have say over your choice creatively you got to play their ball you you can't have or design anything. a ball that yeah. they want or restrict so you so on top of that then you have like for example manga publishers being a very big player sometimes like suesha is obviously a big deal they would be like yo you need to be faithful to the character design so, or you need to be faithful to the plot. So, yeah. do your best to adapt everything. Um, oh, our, this volume is coming out in Western markets right around the time this anime is going to premiere. So, you need to creatively get to that point in time by the time it releases. So, then the timing is appropriate. So, if people want to read further... The, hey, the latest manga got released digitally. So surprise, surprise, timing is so appropriate. So then you're fucked in terms of the pacing because you might not think that's feasible from a pacing perspective. In- we're on volume five right now. We got to sell volume five. But we're, we've been commissioned to do 12 episodes. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And it, and, and, that, and that, then you make cuts. And, and that is then like the double-edged sword. It's a lose-lose, right? Because you cut a bunch of shit. And the fans will be like, well, this was awful. This anime just was not faithful at all. Like, they cut out this scene. They cut out that character. They cut out this dialogue. What the hell's, what the, hell's the point in watching this anime? Like, just, just read the manga. And then on the other side, too, it's like, okay, they managed to do it. But it doesn't come without detriment. Because they spent a lot of time reading the script, rewriting it, going back to the drawing board, and figuring yeah, out literally going yeah, back to drawing how board. to fuck to cram four volumes or however many volumes or chapters of manga into 12, 25 minute episodes. So, yeah, from a wage and scheduling perspective, technically, technically, the animation studio is in charge of it. However, I would say the executive production committee and production committee are responsible for issues. They set the rules for them. They set the rules such that to a certain extent, you're going to fail from the start or you're going to not be able to achieve 
a high degree of success. It's like I'm restricting you to renovate or or within like the confines of this room or whatever. And here is like a hammer and like three nails. Good luck. Figure it out. But the tools you gave me, you know, metaphorical carpenter, whatever, is like so few and far in between. Well, that's all you're going to figure out. And then the fans outside, when they see you like nail three walls and then or whatever, and then it's going to be shit, they'll be like, well, fuck you, animation studio. Exactly. And yeah. then you'll be like, but they gave me the hammer and the nail. Is- that's the thing, right? Like whenever an anime bombs, it's the studio's fault. Right. Whenever an anime cuts details out, it's the studio's fault. When the studio does not pay wages on time, or people are overworked, or God forbid, there's some workplace incident that happens due to the fact that they've been overworked, it's the studio's fault. Except it's not the case. I think to a large extent, the reason why a lot of us, including both of us, will we put the blame a lot on the animation studio is oh, because dude, there was a, many times we, we were like looking at mappa be like what the fuck are you guys doing yeah because they are the thing that is the forward facing surprise surprise something is called spy x family production committee what the fuck does that mean but when you see which studio crossover with cloverworks it is extremely apparent who they are what entity and organization they are and what they do right yeah. so oh they 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 produce anime. They're the ones responsible for making this anime. Not 100% true. Imagine the fact that, just think about it. You won't know, you would know, you know, if you, if let's say we survey 100 people that watch anime. So a lot of like levels of consumption and dedication, right? You would get people to a certain extent that know the VAs, the directors, and their pedigree. But I would say the overwhelming majority might know an animation studio or two. But I will bet you that hardly anyone would actually know who is on a production committee, even a very hype franchise. They will just be like, know that production committee is a problem maybe, or they know it exists and is an issue, but they won't know who is on there. But if I were to tell you who is on there, and you could find out, it's just really hard to, because they like mask it. And I think that is also the other thing. So the easy finger to point to is Animation Studio, because they animate. They make the product. I don't care where they got their resources from. They're the ones responsible for putting pen on paper. They're the ones responsible for uploading image files and creating a scene. They're the ones who compile every single shot together to make an anime. So they should therefore hold 100% responsibility. Is what you would probably say on the easiest level of criticism, but the well is a lot deeper than just having to blame the animation The rabbit hole is so deep, bro. Like, fuck. It is such a sad state of affairs. Uh, We are both like culprits of you know some many ways blaming the studios but unfortunately like reality is not as simple and clear-cut as it appears to be so let's take chainsaw man i mentioned earlier you might go dude hype franchise whether it earned money or not you know we addressed that in the news story you know several episodes back and we talked about it right but they did something that i think is like super ballsy so um, they in front was it New York Comic Con? Where was it? One of the cons, basically. Yeah, I'm trying to find. Oh, right. So, what can we? So, uh, 
Makoto Kimura, so one of the producers of Chainsaw Man, appeared along MAPPA at Anime Expo to talk, I guess, 2022, to talk about Chainsaw Man. And they famously talked about how they do not have a production committee. And because it's MAPPA, they were entrusted with being able to execute on the anime. And I'll be honest, if you told me that that didn't have a production committee, especially after knowing all this like nitty-gritty intricacies, that is massively impressive. Immensely impressive. But that is so risky and ballsy. Yeah, they're they're bearing the brunt of all the risk by being like the sole player in all of this. And convincing Suisha to be like, oh yeah, sure. Just give us the money. Yeah. Like, fuck, dude. Imagine that. Especially the hype that Chainsaw Man had before the anime premiered is such a ballsy thing to do. And then when you know that it transitioned to Jump Plus Manga Plus, right? Yeah. and But that's also like one isolated situation as well. Because as, as Jason mentioned, right? When you put together a production company, 99% of the time, the animation studio that is responsible for making the anime does not even have a seat amongst that committee. Now, let's talk about the exception to that rule. One of them, at least, is Kyoto Animation KyoAni. They have a practice where they, as an animation studio, are also, for almost all of their productions, their own production committee. And in like an ideal world, that is the golden unicorn, the mystical beast, where... Because your own your own production committee, and assuming that everyone talks and gets along with everyone within that company, you control literally everything. And I'll be honest, you can say about you know the quality of the writing for certain shows, right? Like I think Beyond the Boundary or certain other shows that even though I like them, I would say more often than not, Kyoto Animation's production and just everything in terms of their consistent look, feel, and everything is almost executed flawless such that any one of our core group of friends that are into anime will when we see a certain show if it has that kyoani look which is already a meme but it's true right we can tell it's kyoani i mean to be fair it's like outside of the controversial like tragedy that happened several years ago when you talk about kyoto animation good quality good delivery in terms of what products they work on and it's usually like well loved it's it's really hard to look at a kyoani uh, production and be like, nah, this is awful. This and is people shit. loved working there. They also have their own talent agency in that they actually train their own studio like, like animators. They don't just hire outsourced or freelance workers. Uh, they have higher worker compensation allegedly. And they also have higher, you know, happiness in terms of like the people, like, like higher satisfaction amongst And employees. mental health, right? Of course, they also probably have their fair share of issues but it pales in comparison to everyone else at in the industry, such that they are well known to treat everyone that they house, they you know that they employ, way better than every other company, and because they have say over literally every facet of the anime production committee and the animation studio, it's like it's like you fighting amongst your own self. You can, and there is a chance that might happen, but it's very rare i guess statistically speaking when it's like two and two organizations that 
may have worked in the past, but are still two separate things with their own self-interest. So. Yeah, they, they, it's it's quite clear that you know when we see Kyoto animation, there tends to be like a good level of ethics that go into how they run a production studio, how they run a committee, how they properly remunerate uh, their workers, how they adhere to you know actual like meetable deadlines. It's it, 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 again, we're not we're not necessarily putting this as like the gold standard, but we are saying that this is very rare. <laughs> in a very very watered down uh industry where you have hundreds of animation studios but a lot of them are completely not profitable yeah i would say kyoto animation i'm pretty confident to say is the only one that has this type of arrangement on so many different levels of credits productions and tool sets at their disposal and also the least amount of negativity that surrounds it Correct. In terms of the production side, then you get the 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 like uh, to use the analogy for UFO table, like the brother where they do their own thing, but every time they show up, it's like awesome. And UFO table, to my knowledge, their grip and grasp over things like the budget and the revenue and the profit is less than KyoAni where it's almost everything is in-house, but it's more than what pretty much everyone else does. Furthermore, UFO Table takes their fucking sweet time to do anything, and no one says anything because every time they show up, every time they release something, fucking banger. So no one says anything because they know... I don't like Fate Stay Night that much. I'm really hyped for, was it Fate slash... Uh, Strange Fake. Strange Fake. Because the premiere episode was fucking dope. I don't... I know that I will watch Demon Slayer and be extremely satisfied with the direction, the art, you know, the animation quality, the frames, you know, per second, you know, all that stuff. But I also will have to say that UFO table is kind of like this enigma thing where it's like they don't always show up, but every time they do, they then make a huge impact and then they peace out. I mean, there, there could be an argument where it's like, well, yeah, it's because they're working on like two of like legitimately the biggest properties on Earth, Demon Slayer and Fate Stick. Okay, well, let's talk about MAPPA. And again, this is not to bash on MAPPA, but in terms of MAPPA, Hell's Paradise, Attack on Titan Final Season, Finland Saga Season 2, Chainsaw Man, Dance Dance Dancer, Remain, Attack Up Destiny, uh, Dora Hetero, Listeners. Like, they, they did a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff on varying levels, right? But you could then just be, you put tail and be like, okay, cool, I'll just raise you Demon Slayer and Fate Stay Night and Garden of Sinners. Where you at, bro? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's it, it, it's always like the quality versus quantity kind of debate. And yeah, MAPPA's got a fuck ton of good quality, but it doesn't come without a lot of criticism in terms of how the final product comes out, a lot of dissent, and a lot of unhappiness that comes from like the camp at MAPPA in terms of like, I mean, yeah. how many press releases have you seen of like a director come out and their eyes are completely bloodshot with eye bags like deeper than the Mariana Trench? Exactly. Yeah, uh, MAPPA is so overworked, stretched out, thin. Yes, they are producing very good stuff at a breakneck, a breakneck pace. 
and this is like again not bashing on Mappa. We are going by what has been on the news. Yes. So, UFO table is very well known, and this is not saying I'm an industry insider or whatnot. I'm just looking at purely the stuff that they put out and the pace that they put out. That first of all, the amount of stuff that they put out is very few compared to Mappa. And then they also invest heavily into certain series. Obviously, in this case, the main two at the moment for them is the Fate series as well as Demon Slayer right now. And once they are done with that, they kind of like find like the next property that they will, you know, go all in on, right? And then Youthful Table only releases stuff rather slowly, you know, especially when we take it at a per year basis. And if you also consider the fact that the IPs are very important franchises that big deals. But also production committees very likely and some have even gone on the record to say like, yeah, we know if we sign Youthful Table on, we know what we're getting into because they're going to disappear for like two years. But every time they come back, we earn like 500 million gazillion whatever dollars. So we just let them do their thing. You might think as well as like, oh, but it's UFO Table, of course. It's like that's an anomaly. No, it's not. Because let's talk about Studio Orange. Well, yeah, it's yes and no, right? Right. But but I'm being very and studio, generous but, but when studio, I say that. But, but Studio Orange does the same thing. Yes. They work on specific properties like B-Stars, Tribe mm-hmm. and Stampede. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget about Land of Illustrious. Mm-hmm. But each release is like two years in between, right? B-Stars final season is coming out. But last year we had Tribe and Stampede. And then two years before that, we had B-Stars. Mm-hmm. Like... Just because you don't see a whole lot of product come out does not mean that they're not using that money wisely. And and you can bet your ass that the production committee, they are not on there. They might be, actually. But uh, more often than not, a uh, safe assumption is they are not sitting on that seat. At They're not sitting at the table. But it's also like, oh, as the production committee, they were like, okay, we're going to enlist Studio Orange or UFO Table well, they have a habit of, you know, like this, like disappearing for two years and then coming back with a banger. Okay, so let's just adjust for that. Yeah. But very few animation studios get that leeway. Yeah. It is reputation. It is pedigree or style that for better or for worse for the industry as a whole, they have adopted. Yeah. Kyoto Animation, Studio Orange, UFO Table, these three studios are exceptions to the rule because more often than not, if you see the model that MAPPA is running, a unknown studio that's looking to break into it will look at that and be like, yeah, no, that's what I want. Every year, we're releasing five bangers. We're releasing every single season the next greatest anime series of all time. I mean, I would say Cloverworks... PA Works are very good studios that also have a feverish like release like and production cycle, but they are more of like publicly aware of in the zeitgeist of being overworked and 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 stuff. Whereas like, well, there's also the fact that with CloverWorks being a subsidiary within Aniplex, yeah, A One, right? Yeah, and they probably get a decent amount of help because I think that. When they have a one industry representative per 
you know, like music industry or per like toy industry or per manga publisher, don't forget that one of, I guess, the good things of having those representatives having a daddy is because they probably have a lot of connections and know how such that they also don't want to fuck up either. So they're going to make make damn well sure. Right. Like Clubworks does something. Any place is watching over. Yeah. That's why the metaphorical, hypothetical million-dollar weep comes in, plops a million dollars, actually, to a certain extent, is going to do you harm because let's say there is no budget cap. Let's say you do accept the $1 million. That person is one less person who actually knows different contacts, different people, or sometimes even how anime production works that metaphorical weeb loves anime there's no question about that they did front the money there's no question about that but then they'll be like okay so what else are you going to bring to the table and they'll be like money what are you talking about i gave you the money i want the anime and then everyone else is going to be like well do you have like lawyers that'll help us flatten out any legal issues do you have distribution channels for us to utilize do you have a marketing agency or an advertising agency that can help us distribute well, what about like merchandising right like oh yeah just do blu-rays and body pillows no 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 not even that i i give you money you make, figure make, it make out it ha- make it happen so it's like just it, figure it out it's like a production committee within the production committee so it's kind of funny in a way but it that's why it's not that clear cut because yes will and i honestly don't like what production committees have done will do and is currently doing all these practices but it's not to say that that this structure is without merit or there is reasons why it was established in the first place i think it's again more of having an advantage like prior work relationships being a figurehead in the industry, whereas these are things that are pluses regardless. But when you exploit it such that I'm just going to cap the budget so I can incur the most amount of revenue, I am going to ice you out because I am the head of the committee, that's when it becomes exploitative. Yeah. Now, you might be thinking as well, it's like, okay, then production committees are the root of all evil here. Let's just point the finger and blame them. Not always the case. Yes, they are legitimately the arbiter of what the fuck we're talking about, but the onus also has to play into the consumer, unfortunately. Now, we're all weebs here. At least if you're listening to this, I hope you are a weeb. Wait, did you bring your uh, weeb citizenship card? It's in the mail currently. Bro, do I have to call the weeb police? Please don't do that. I, I don't want to overstay my welcome in the weeddom. All right. So, yeah, we're all weeds. We love anime. What's up? As much as we love the medium and we continue to, you know, treasure it in terms of the, the entertainment it gives us, the, the feel-good vibes it gives us, or whatever positivity that the medium has brought you, there always is an expense that comes out of watching anime reading manga and i'm not just talking about money because at the end of the day yes anime comes from streaming platforms and streaming platforms are getting more and more expensive manga is expensive digitally it's slightly cheaper but when you're reading a lot it still amounts to a lot but you're still getting something that with its value far outweighs all the work that gets put into anime production manga production and 
it's it's this. I I don't want to say excessive consumerism because I'm not trying to paint everybody as like evil. Uh, uh, I, you know? I I now know what you're trying to get you at. Know? No, no, we continue. But yeah. it's like when we consume so much anime and read so much manga, it gets to the point where this is not me trying to be all socialist and whatnot. But it's like there there really is no ethical consumption when it comes to capitalism. There always is going to be somebody or a group of people that get the short end of the stick. And that is in many ways by design and in many ways just this is the system that you implement. It is the disadvantage yeah. and the, the, the negative side of that system. Right. It's like, you, it's like oh, you're just talking about anime. That's, that's mean. It's like, no, but like this isn't just anime. It's everything, yeah. right? From the it plate- is merchandise, licensing, or the loss of that license. It is transfer. It I mean, is- if you were to move away from anime and manga, right? Like the food that you eat. Right, the car that you drive, the house that you live in. That, Yo, it's getting real, that, bro. That pizza you ate, the flour, the pizza, the, the the tomatoes, the cheese, and everything. Yeah, you might be paying like thirteen ninety nine or you know seventy five Hong Kong dollars for that slice of pizza. But that person who was growing the vegetables, washing them, and or distributing even them, transporting it, because importing is a big deal for Hong Kong, and that's why a lot of things here are expensive even though it is cheaper, like the thing itself is technically cheap. And all the companies that we talk about, whether these are animation studios, whether these are committees built uh, built up by individual companies, sometimes monopolies, duopolies, or just conglomerates in general, the thing that we cannot ignore, and it is a necessary evil in the end, is that these are all for-profit companies. Just because you're for-profit doesn't mean you're evil, but when it comes to excessive consumption, that type of behavior then churns back into how to further and well-oil that machine to continue to produce more and more anime. It's that like cycle of feedback, right? And if you're going to want more anime, someone's got to produce it, right? I don't want to go a month without a new release. I can't wait for the summer or the fall or the winter seasons or so on, and I need my anime fix. I think... The oversaturation or like, you know, like the amount that is so excessive in anime and manga is a narrative, a bullet point that Will and I harp on excessively. So let's take any given anime season right now and let's talk about, for argument's sake, there is, let's say, 50 shows. Easily 50, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we do our seasonal review, we sometimes watch close to or around 20-something shows, and then narrow it down to, like, 16. I think 16 or to 18 is, like, the numbers that are seasonal review. We talk about those shows. Yeah. So there is only so many people to consume. So we're not actually talking about revenue or profit in the traditional sense. We're just talking eyeballs. Like viewership, yeah. Onto the property that will then translate to money. Yeah. But... If we exclude all that, let's say in this hypothetical world, every single f- like season, so every four, every three months, you will get fifty shows right away, right? Let's just say that is like a transactional thing. Then there is only so many people that will watch said fifty shows. Then let's say we take out all the cost and who rakes in the money. Let's just talk about viewership numbers. Like kind of like YouTube in a way, right? Like it's technically free and available. You, you need right? metrics for sure. Right, yeah. exactly. 
there's only so many eyeballs to go around, so many views to be had at a certain point. Because you're not going to watch all 50 shows, bro. And even if you do, you might watch all 50 for the first week. Because you want to see what everything is all about. But that's going to cut down. And then over time, that's going to cut down even more. So... Yeah, like is every person who's watching anime going to be watching Demon Slayer, but also watching Ninjala or Chikawa? Are you going to watch Bang Dream? Farmers? We didn't. It's right? a fucking 8.28 or are you last gonna, like, season. You know, like... You know, binge all of Arknights while Chainsaw Man is running as well. Like, it's like there's only so much anime you can watch. And I get that as a weeb or as, you know, to an extreme, a hardcore weeb, you want to consume as much as you want. But, like, don't y'all think that maybe 50, even 60 series every month, every season, I mean, is a bit much? It's just a bit much. And, okay, let's just say, let's, yeah, let's just say 50 series. And you have four billion weebs. Okay, fair enough. That's I don't a think, lot. I don't think we even have to go that far. I think it's very easy to say that half of those shows are technically duds. Would you say so? Duds. And yeah. look, there might be some people that like watching them, but it's like, look, it's either you can you can point it down to bad script writing, or you could say it's a rush process, or, or a say, niche product. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's also the fact that because of our consumerist nature. That when we want to demand more anime, you're going to get more anime. But there's no control over the quality. Yeah, exactly. If it's good anime, right? So, okay. Here's the other, like, exception or caveat to what we just said. Which is, sometimes, or a lot of times, actually, you or Will and I would look at a, a, a show that is coming up in the upcoming anime season lineup. And we go, how in the fuck did that get a season two? Right, I think that's a very common like thing that occurs. Or the thing that I like that is actually to a certain degree massively popular, why isn't it getting a next season or whatever, right? So it's kind of like the injustice of it all. Yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of like also like sometimes contradictory where it's like why the fuck are we waiting 5 seasons for a second series of Attack on Titan? But these are also maybe people in the same camp that'd be like why are we getting like was Spike's it, family every two seasons, or like Megaton has a yeah. sick has a new season, which I actually think is real, but it's like it got like a four point whatever on my anime list, or it on the anime like uh you know like broadcast TV like Nielsen ratings or whatever, it's like barely scratched the surface or whatever. Or so, it's also like all of a sudden we're now getting fist of the north star even though the manga ended like 30 years ago they're actually kind of re-releasing it yeah they're that's re- why yeah. that's why actually but at the same time, it's also like is it necessary like and i get that there is always going to be fans of certain certain series that are just wanting more stuff that want more stuff of that particular ip that particular property and to be brought back i have no problem if you are devoted to certain series certain genres, certain studios, or whatever it is that you have devotion to. The problem that I do have, though, is that because of the fact that there are enough people that want more stuff, there are then other series that also come in and be like, oh, you want more stuff? Okay, we'll make more of this stuff, but then we'll also bring a lot of this stuff in, too. So out of every anime season, like, legit, you and I would be looking at it, and we've done statistical analysis of it as well, that out of every season, more often than not, 15 to 20% of them are deemed great shows. Another 30% of them are good shows. 
and then the rest of them are trash, unwatchable, or just don't bother with them. So how does, you know, Will and I's rant about, like, the excessive consumerism factor or trace it back to anime production committees? So uh, I there was a Reddit post about production committees for winter 2023. Someone did a spreadsheet. Uh, this uh, an anonymous Redditor, I probably should quote that person. I'll probably put it in the show notes. We have winter 2023, uh, all of the seasonals there. And the just for co- your reference, that was at the beginning of this year. So that would have been January of this year. Yep. It has the committee head and well as all of the members of the committee in order of rank. So like in this spreadsheet, member two has the second highest billing rank, which theoretically means that they get the the second highest proportion of share and say in the anime production process. Okay. And then member, member, member three, member four, so on and so forth. Some have one or two. Some of them have like eight or nine. Right. So let's take an example. Unite Up. You probably have not heard of it. I think Will and I have in seen it yeah. as in like saw it on my i think it's list. like a boy band to do with flags or something it is an idol thing there is only two on the production committee one head and obviously the second member aniplex sony music yeah i mean who else would you put in there it's those two are going hand in hand and the you know sony music being the guy that is part of the conglomerate that is a record label, probably the biggest in Japan. That so, owns Aniplex. Yes. So it's like, yeah, they don't have a representative of, you know, different industries. That's all there is. So it's not just a steadfast rule of, oh, there's always going to be one person from each industry. Sometimes the rules are out the window. And that's the other thing about this weird thing where, yeah, there's a one rep per industry limit. The amount of people on the committee is not fixed. I guess the only thing that is fixed is there is at least one committee head. One face, basically. One yeah. face to a certain extent. And actually, you don't know the faces because they all come out and say, we are the production committee. Yep. And that's all you're going to know until you dig deeper. We are Unite Up Committee. That's it. But let's, you know damn well who's fronting it. Let's take one that I think is pretty interesting. Near Automata. Yep. So they went through a lot of delays. They did a lot of issues with production. Aniplex, head. Then, next one, as you might expect, Sony. is Square Enix. Oh, Sony. Okay, not Sony then. Okay. So you might go, okay, that the, those people make sense, right? To a certain extent. But isn't the game done by Square Enix or not? And then you'll be like, yeah, kind of. And then you'll be like, what is around releasing that time? The re-release of Nier. So it's not actually sometimes applicable to looking at it strictly from the anime, manga, light novel perspective. Of course, those matter to a certain extent. But sometimes it is like tangentially. Like in the case of Unite Up, for argument's sake, there is a very clear chance that they sold records. They're going to release albums. And so Sony's going to come in and be like, we got Sony Music. Yeah. I got this shit covered. Yep. And then they earned a shit ton of money by selling records or selling like, you know, MP3s or, or or how many streams on Spotify or whatnot, right? That money they already recouped or even earned. 
despite the fact that possibly no one cared about the anime, but the fact that it was there, showed up, the cost of the anime might be a loss, but the project as a whole was actually profitable. Because of the fact that Sony is super big, that, oh, what about their advertising costs? Well, we're fucking Sony. Marketing? We're fucking Sony. So it's in-house. So then you cut costs there. As in, yeah, you cut costs by not spending anything because we are the company that will do advertising and marketing. And we have done it for eons already. So we know like our way around the industry. So we are not going to like spend money inefficiently because this is just like any other musical project that we have invested money in. Right? And take note, I did not talk about the animation studio in any of these cases. Yeah. <laughs> okay? So, but, but that should matter, right? That should matter. That They're should ones, matter. But in this sense, it doesn't. Because the money doesn't go to the animation studio. It goes to the production committee. Okay. What about another one that I thought was pretty interesting? The uh, one that involves geek toys. Adventurers who don't believe in humanity. Do you remember that yeah, show? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. So. I actually quite like that one. Hakuhado D.Y. is the committee head. Then in order of billing, Frontier Works, Kadokawa, Pony Canyon, BS11, Studio Maosu, Kadokawa. What the fuck is that name? Oh, my God. Uh, there is another Kadokawa. It is Kadokawa Media House, then Geek Pictures, then Geek Toys. So there's nine members. And they're at the bottom of it. And they're at the bottom of it. But if you think about it, there are two Geek Toys kind of subsidiaries or representatives. So they are kind of like in cahoots with each other, but they're separate entities because they are separate divisions. Yeah, but you could, yeah, I mean, like, but they got each other's back. You damn BS well. BS Eleven, I think, is a, a a TV network in Japan. Correct. Yeah. So they got that. They got that TV broadcasting part Dom- covered uh, d- domestically. Yeah. Yeah. Because you bet your ass that they're not going to give it to another TV broadcasting within Japan yep. for the anime because yep. BS Eleven sits on the seat. Uh, Crunchyroll shows up in other places. You know, reason because if you sit on the seat. Even if you lose money on the anime itself, you win the rights of the licensing by, in many ways, default because you're on the production committee. So the money that you paid for the licensing, guess what? It's probably going to be next to nothing because you sit on the fucking seats in the production committee. And that's a win. So it is so into the weeds, like shadow organization not clear and by definition that's the whole point yeah the fact that there are companies that can sit on the committee but actually don't need to spend extra money to be able to produce a, a product it just gives them more license to go ahead and produce more shit a lot more shit that we need than we need to watch but they're going to do it anyway because one thing they do with releasing more and more anime and it's not just to gain money money in this sense does not matter what does matter is visibility. Correct. In, in terms of your branding. To because push your IP, to push your company to get higher valuations, and therefore, you make money that way. 
if there is a Rubik's Cube anime, for example, you bet your ass that the company Rubik's is going to be on there. And the anime could tank. It could flop. And the budget could be, like, super high. But if they earn a lot of sales through the purchasing of Rubik's Cubes, it doesn't matter. They're just going to be like, yo, let's just keep this train going because we earn a shit ton of money through people buying Rubik's Cubes. Then on the anime front, you'll be like, why the fuck are they making Rubik's Cubes Season 2? It, it tanked. It is like it has like a you know a, a five point you know nine two on my anime list. No one cared. Everyone trashed it. All the critics say it's bad, but guess what? It did earn money. But no one knows that from the get go. Yeah. In the end, you look at that. That's legitimately money that they use on an advertising budget. Because if they can make X amount of money just selling Rubik's cubes, they're going to spend Y amount of money producing shit anime because they know it's low cost. In regards to, in comparison to how much they actually rake in, in terms of after production pro- uh, oh, oh, product, uh, profits. Who's, who's going to animate it? Uh, just get fucking this, this, was it project number nine? Just fucking get them to do it. Sorry, project number nine. But Sorry, we project have, number we nine. Had to, we had to do it to you. <laughs> also, like, these days, like, bro. But, but it's, you see, it's easy for Will and I to say that. And to a certain degree, as a consumer or, you know, content creator, critically speaking, we have the right and we should call out bad animes but on the other hand is something that no one really sees is like our appreciation or like understanding of how hard it is for people to even get to that point of releasing an anime so it's a tough situation all around it is extremely multifaceted it's like uh you know like it's always sunny in philadelphia like charlie day yeah like connecting like all these dots and like like trying to cons- like conspiracy theory it. it actually in this case is so intricately webbed that it is that that complex yeah and so with this this complexity of of shadiness Ooh, that yeah. happens behind the scenes it, it, it just seems that all is lost, right? There's there's nothing that anybody can do to fix this problem. If you even call it a problem, it just seems like it's industry standard now, right? Well, yeah. Like, to a certain extent, you are right. But there are things technically that you and I and you, the dear listeners, can actually do to at least either improve the situation or sometimes change the situation for the better. One thing that's happened fairly recently, maybe not as recent now, but definitely in the last 10 years, we've seen a couple of projects and studios come up with this, crowdfunding. I think that one is probably like the most straightforward way to buck the trend in terms of having committees just stranglehold how much money goes into the pockets of animation studios and how much it dictates how the market moves. So... It's not it's not the biggest game changer, but it's certainly something that studios can do in which they set up campaigns, whether it be on Kickstarter, whether it be on whatever crowdfunding platform they use, and reach out to fans. Reach yeah. out to other people that aren't necessarily tied to a corporation and get funding that way to produce anime. Uh, I think a recent example would be with studios, The Girl from the Other Side. A few years before that would be uh, Little Witch Academy. Uh, yeah, Little Witch Academia, Studio Trigger. It is, And 
the crowdfunding, a lot of people like to tease, you know, people that crowdfund and being like, is it really making a difference? I would say yes and no, but for different reasons. So it is helpful because the first thing is it you are not your consumer, right? You are not a production committee. Therefore, in essence, you are not asking for a share of the revenue or profit. You are in many ways donating money to a certain extent, crowdfunding it, pooling the money to support your creators, and rightfully you should. And more importantly, you have a choice. Correct. You get to choose whether to fund the project or not. Yes. And yeah, that the amount of money can be very substantial depending on the scale of your anime project, but it is a good chance that it will only be a small to decent proportion of the whole budget or cost of producing the anime. However, let's take for argument's sake, your production gets delayed due to COVID-19 because uh, a staff member got it and you had to shut down your studio for a week. Cause or just past COVID, any work incident can happen. Correct. Right? right? That money that you got through Kickstarter after, you know, Kickstarter gets their cut and everything and you got the money could offset that delay, the cost of that delay that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise because you would have to get either take loans or take money out of your pocket as the head of that studio. Yeah. So it is very beneficial that way. In a sense, because again, it's hypothetical. Yeah, because you might not be able to provide as much funding as if you actually did have a production committee. And of course, asking money from a committee is a little bit easier than asking money from consumers after you already got their money. Right. You know, but, but, but yeah. Do you, I, do you want I, me to say yeah. it? Uh, let's say you have a Kickstarter project and it drums up, you know, like two million US dollars, which actually I think. A, not, lot, a lot not, of, like, yeah. the Wits Studio and Willow Witch Academia actually exceeded that, I think, to a certain point. Yeah. Or, like, it got to $1 million in, like, 24 hours, right? And it's still not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but it's money nonetheless. Right. So then that hype and anticipation, you can then, as Wits Studio or as Studio Trigger, go to the production committee before they are ironclad fixed on the budget or whatnot and go bro look at the amount of fervor and hype and free press we're getting for this product they don't need to do advertising can you throw us a bone yeah and more often than not i think that that is a a lot of because business people think in business terms yep so when they see that kind of transaction or they see that kind of hype I would like to say, as someone who actually has not been in these meetings, because I will never will, they are more inclined to at least give you a budget increase. Yeah. Especially with these kinds of Kickstarters or like crowdfunding projects, it's not the case of, oh, they just want more money to make more anime, right? No, that's not what it is. Because more often than not, they're producing passion projects they're working on stuff that would not have seen the light of day if they were to go to a committee and say i want to produce this anime no fuck you that's not that's not profitable at all but the fans want it okay but that's like ten thousand fans who cares about them but those ten thousand fans do care 
And therefore, those 10,000 fans would be willing to put in a lump sum of money, however much it may be, to see that thing come to light. And that's kind of something that we do want to see. And then when you come back to me, the production committee monolith, and being like, bro, you said no the first time. We get it. It's niche product. But look at all this money that we drummed up in 24 hours. Then they'll be like, oh, shit. Did we fuck up, guys? Okay, uh, animation studio, just hold on a sec. We need to, we, uh, us production committees need to talk real quick. Maybe let's just give him a little bit of money. All right, and you see? So, yeah, the first time around, they could reject certain passion projects because it's either unprofitable from, like, their minds it's or... It's an outdated project, a uh, product. There is no, like, adaptation. The metrics just don't make sense to them. There's no source, right? There are so many facets where they reject it outright. But I think from a business transaction perspective, when you come back with dollar signs, yeah, money talks. They will be like, "All right, let's let's play ball." Then now the main con with crowdfunding projects is it's inconsistent. As a studio, you do not want to depend on just crowdsourcing unless that's what your modus operandi is mm-hmm. that you solely work on crowdfunding. And you bet your ass that if which studio does a crowdfunding. If you if your studio trigger or Kyoani does a crowdfunding, Will and I would kickstart it. Period. I mean, we did for the girl from the other side. Did right? we do it just to get credits on the movie? Uh, no, maybe, maybe. I but, mean, that is part of it, yeah. but it's also because the free swag. It, it, <laughs> no. We got a shit ton of stuff from them. It was it, awesome. Yeah, we got. Like, I mean, we paid for it. Painted but yeah. portraits signed by the studio. We got a plate. We got Wait, some shirts. I got the script in Japanese, like leather bound. It's fucking dope. But. But here's the thing, guys. Um, do you think Project Number Nine will be able to do that? I don't think so. Do you think that Geek Toys? Do you think Studio Graffinica would be able or, to let's say, just say that? that? Do you think Mappa could get away with it? Or Absolutely. O- or OLM. Absolutely. Or, yeah, but do that's you, because they're recognizable, well known to a certain extent, and kind of beloved. But do you think that because of the fact that they've already got so many projects under their belt, and they get enough funding for those projects that they need to have money? No, but it's extra not, money is yeah. nice, though. But it's, I feel like it's 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 easy. Maybe sell. it's just, maybe it's it's just my personal biases, and mm-hmm. that if I saw a Cloverworks or if I saw a Wit Studio or even like a Trigger, I'd be like, I feel like that money goes a bit further than if I was to give it to a Mappa. That is true. I but that's, I also but that's, believe but that's, that. But that's just personal bias, right? Yeah. But I think the average person, when they hear, oh, the creator of Jujutsu Kaisen, the creator of like all these shows that I'm or, currently or watching. Or let's just say, Nishio Isen comes out and says, I want to write a new book. Fucking, yeah. yeah, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what's it about, but fuck yeah, let's go, bro. I don't even read novels, but I'll go. Let's go. Because that, there might be a chance. That also yeah. furthers your point in that a small name studio can't pull that shit off. Yeah. So it's like crowdfunding is good and all, and there is pros and cons, but you're not going to be able to make a successful crowdfunding process if you are not a very well-known or beloved studio or you know a- adapting a niche product. So what else can you do? I would say the other thing and the more common thing that is more free in the in the sense of cost is awareness and education. I think to a certain extent, you as the consumer, if you are aware of these practices, does that mean then you will be more ethical 
there is a chance, but no guarantee. But no guarantee. But at least you are aware, such that you can either pass on that knowledge to maybe someone who does something about it, or you are just more well equipped to be knowledgeable about how things work within the industry, which to me is always a plus. I mean, that's why. <clears throat> excuse me. That's why Toshio Okada came up with that video. He, he stands to. Gain no benefit from that video. Which, by the way, is the reason why we created this episode in the first place. I mean, he's basically putting targets on his head by coming out at studios, not naming them, but still saying like there's a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of malpractice that goes behind the scenes. And because he's an industry insider, because he worked in the industry and maybe currently is working in the industry, dude, he is trust yeah, yeah. is credible and by being credible, bro, a lot of people are like, bro, what the fuck are you doing, man? What the fuck? Yeah, don't let them know the secret sauce. I bet you when they released that YouTube video, his phone probably lit they, up to a certain There was definitely someone that was like, are you sure you want to release this? Are you sure you want to record this in the first Like the place? producer or something, right? Like, hey, bro, we can just can it, right? Like, we but, just lose out on work. But if not him, then who? Exactly. Right? Like, there's got to be somebody that sticks up for the little man. Exactly. Or little woman. Or... Whoever in between, or the AI that's going to animate it. Okay, yeah, but that, okay. that's a whole different thing. Sure, but awareness and education is a very easy avenue that all of us can do. Yeah, it, it's the dream, and actually, it's, you listening to this episode is already doing that. It's free real estate, man. It's just free advocacy right there. Like you, you don't have to do anything. You just have to listen and take it to heart, and or or don't. That's Such it. that maybe there will be a time where you have to be called to action. And then you know what you need to do. You know the situation because you were educated or aware of it in the first place. All right. Now, production committee seems to more or less overall suck, right? No, Yeah, totally get it. Well, what if, like, we just don't have them, period? Or we change the legislation Well, and make the rules a little bit different. Well, those are two separate things. But let's talk about bypassing it first, which is... Chainsaw Man actually did that. Well, I mentioned one off, it. but it's a it one off, but it happened. It has happened, right? So it is a technically possible. It's actually possible. It will has, will people do it? Is a whole different thing. Correct. So, and yeah, dude, it's fucking Mappa. You're not gonna like if I was like an investor or whatever of all the studios currently in existence. If you were to drop knowledge on me about MAPPA, I would just be like, where do I sign? Like, if anyone were to bypass production committees, I think MAPPA or UFO Table would be, like, of that, like, caliber of, like, recognition, pedigree, legacy, whatever you want to call it, is the probably the most appropriate person or candidate or studio to be yeah, we're, we're just not going to do this traditional production committee thing that you guys have been doing for decades. And that's okay, right? And then Soatia, Monolith, as they are, are going to be like... Take the floor. Go ahead, do it. Yeah. But you're also like... And this is not me disparaging these studios, but you're not like Bibri Animation or Zero G. And or Yokohama saying, Animation Lab. And like, I actually thought about that one too. And the only reason why like, I bring them up is because... It's not so much just down to the fact they need a production committee, but a lot of their productions are co-productions. These are studios that actually need support. These are studios that are so small that without that money, without having something placed above them, 
it's very hard for them to operate because they can't bear that risk on their own. Because as much as Willa and I shit on production committees, and rightfully in many ways they should be like called out on their practices and whatnot, you can't forget that actually the animation studio it they could be on like the shortlist candidate to make the anime, but they actually very likely don't have say they can't like flip it on the production committee and be like yo we want to make chainsaw man only mappa and there's only this one case in the entire like i think there may be like at least in our at least in our research yeah right that is capable of doing that like you're not gonna get i don't know even cloverworks is not gonna be able to to grab you know like a manga ip and go to you know shugakugan and be like guys Guys, I, I kind of want to do this. It's the other way around. Yeah. But by because of that, when production committees seek out the studios to animate the show, it's the funding is already secured. Yeah, you can say the amount that they get or whatnot is going to be shitty. I'm not disputing that. In fact, more often than not, it, it sucks. It's capped. You, you have no say in how much you get to a certain extent. But you also don't have to worry about the money because they just gave it to you. Yeah. You might have to deal with what you got, but you don't have to go spend money to find it, to negotiate, to you know accumulate all this stuff, time even wasted in certain cases. It, and so production committees have a safety net of sorts. They're, they're necessary in some cases. But okay, let's say... But you know what? Let's mm-hmm. not break up these studios. Let's not break up these committees. Let's let's have them there. Okay, so they're all together still. Why don't Why don't we change the rules and the regulations behind it? Why don't we change it so that it's either harder for certain conglomerates to just ingest the whole committee with their own people or like their own subsidiaries and whatnot, or maybe change it so that you know the goalposts are a little bit further and it's actually harder for you to get a, a place at the table. Here's my opinion. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, you can't do shit about that. Good luck. <laughs> you you legitimately can't. That is like by far the the most wishful thinking you can do. If you want to do it, you have my full moral, emotional, spiritual support. I don't think you're able to do it, and I'm not going to say that to you because I kind of want you to succeed. I really want you to succeed. Imagine you're like a Fortune 500 company in the U.S. You're one of the biggest companies across the world. And you just all of a sudden have one of your committee members be like, you know what? I think we should pay more taxes. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think you will be able to change the legislation. But if you do, I want to be proven wrong so badly, right? That like, yeah, bro, go on. Fly, my child. The system is broken, but no one wants to fix it. Or no, in some certain ways... Not everyone can fix it. Yeah. It takes time, resources, and whatnot. I also, another thing that I think personally is possible to be done from uh, animation production front, so not from a consumer perspective, is co-productions and split curves. So those are two things that, in my opinion, doesn't, uh, doesn't fully mitigate a lot of the risks with wages and scheduling, but to me alleviates it, and I think it's a fair compromise for the time being. It did. It's it's just a band aid. Yeah, and I think hopefully, like it is not due to circumstance that they have to cope to go into co production, but because it's just 
beneficial for them to like like collaborate but co-productions are actually beneficial because in a way even though let's say you get a hundred dollars we got a hundred dollars from our we god cat lady a hundred dollars between you and i will and we have to co-produce this anime to talk about the gospel of the nya girl okay yeah, okay but let's say well i am better at analyzing and data crunching but you are better at speaking because you clearly are uh, and going out there and like hustling for it if each of us were to be given a hundred dollars and to work on it on our own we each dollar might not be spent as efficiently it doesn't go as far and also when if all of if both of us were on our own and I had to crunch the numbers. While I crunch the numbers, I cannot physically go outside and hustle. And same thing with you. When you go outside, you know, uh, you know, making arrangements, shaking hands, you can't be crunching the numbers behind a computer. Yeah. But when now, you, yeah. Now that's not to say that like co-productions are always smooth sailing. Yes. Right? We're giving you like the most optimal partnership there is. I mean, our partnership is not always smooth sailing either. But it works. But it works. So we focus on the things that we are good at, and yeah. We have to split the cost, but sometimes maybe I'll be like, bro, it's fucking summertime outside, Jason. I'm like, hot, can I spend some money to buy a soda? It might be, so then now I need to take $5 from you so it's not 50-50 anymore. I'll be like, fuck yeah, of course. Because, like, you're going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always not, like, split down the middle. It could be. But it's also, like, give and take. So it's not. I mean, we are seeing a lot more co-productions than before. Yeah. And I think that the main reason is because better together than, you know. That and also studios are not that big. And they need yep. they, they need people. And I think certain and studios. Don't, and, and they don't want to just like depend on like outsourcing. Yeah, I think certain studios are just more, you know, like like more proficient in certain domains of anime production. But when they're on their own, they have to worry about everything. And more often than not, like. Clearly, it works. I mean, otherwise, Cloverworks and Wood Studio would not still be making Spy Family together, you know? Yeah, and if we were to incur some cost or risk, if we split it between the two of us, it may not be 50-50, but it's better than us, either one of us, incurring 100% of that. And 100% of the risk. Yeah. And also, let's talk about split curves. I think it's one of those things that is going to be a commonplace thing. Controversial, too, as well. True. To some extent. But I would argue... Split curves on paper because obviously we don't know how it works with every single studio. But by splitting the curves, you not only keep the conversation within that zeitgeist. Usually at the end of one split curve, you announce the other split curve because that's just par for the course. Especially when you say season one, part one. Why wouldn't there be at least a part two if you call it season one, part one? Well, more often they'll just say whatever the property and then property part two and then they'll do season it, it, it name of conventions are always a little bit right, inconsistent right. but at least you know yeah, that there will be know, like yeah. another part somewhere in the near future usually the net the after the next upcoming cur right you also give time for your staff to either rest or focus on other projects. Probably the other projects yeah. is the more likely scenario yeah. but at least it's not going to be like two projects at the same time so to me it's it's a it it's the lesser of the two evils. It could work, 
it might not because because it, it's not going to solve the big issue that we're talking about here right in yeah. that committees themselves have a lot of leeway in terms of how they spend the money and that money goes back to them at the end of the day so how can we fix it no the 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 most wishful thinking i did say you know what you mentioned about about changing laws that one would be like the most this is the most wishful thinking is that we just change the way we consume anime we watch less of the shit that we don't want to watch and we just focus on one or two things and we bring the metrics down and that leads companies to thinking okay there is no merit in mass producing shows anymore we're just going to make quote-unquote good stuff except that is exactly what does not happen in real life I will take the essence of what you're trying to say and spin it with another compromise, which is international influence. One of the other narratives that Will and I and every other person under the sun has talked about is anime being bigger in scope in popular mainstream culture. Outside of Japan. Outside of Japan, fan bases profitability even look at mugen train i mean we love to talk about that as an example but goes to show bro that's a big deal when international influences international fans are involved in theory that will involve international organizations in north america think like crunchyroll think netflix on the manga front, there's obviously like Seven Seas, Viz Media, you know, Yen Press, right? That are either affiliates of the Japanese publishers, but the Western division, right? So there's obviously Nintendo has a Western division. Yeah. Sure, the East is king, no doubt about that. But there is still a sizable chunk of presence in the West. So why is that relevant? Well, guess what? Because rules and regulations are different in the West than in the East. It could Specifically be, Japan. Yes. Yeah. It could be, you know, bad or good, right? I mean, like, if you look, for example, at box office for Demon Slayer, Japan will look at the domestic box office before the international box office. Mm-hmm. Japan, when they sell video games, will look at domestic sales compared to international sales. When they talk about manga they'll look at domestic circulation before international circulation is that the case all the time probably not but but i think that's a pretty safe rule yeah even nowadays when clearly they're earning more money on almost every front internationally they care way more about domestically like that is just kind of the japanese sensibilities that they just employ that if is you, just yeah if you don't succeed domestically you don't even need to think about what happens yeah even if you succeed internationally they will see it as a failure domestically uh it's just a more of like a value oriented cultural thing that the japanese culture has ingrained in them right and i think that's a good and bad thing i don't think i think it's just how you use it or how you value it that it determines whether it's a good or a bad thing but with these western divisions western blocks of these subsidiaries They are then governed by these different rules. Also, don't forget that, yeah, sure, you might get like the head of that company coming to the West to represent the CEO, right? But more often than not, you're going to get a huge subset of people in the area. I mean, times are changing. I mean, now you're seeing a lot more Japanese adaptations of Western properties. Do you think Crunchyroll having their anime awards in Japan in my opinion, is actually a way bigger deal than 
the show itself. It's not so much, hey, let's glorify anime and all of its goodness. It's showing Japan, hey, look, there's a lot of people out of Japan that really fucking love anime. Let's do something about it. And this. I think a lot of anti-tubers or people that are more ingrained onto the day-to-day happenings of anime and manga in general, when they saw that Cyberpunk Edgerunner won Anime of the Year, the reason why everyone lost their shit, or Will and I also lost our shit, is not only because it's a great show, but because it takes... It's almost like a selfless thing in a certain way. In a, in a certain way, Will. I know you're giving me that look. Because... Crunchyroll is saying that their competitor's product that is an exclusive that they will never get, probably ever, is their own anime awards anime of the year, the coveted prize. And not to mention as well, Netflix, a Western media conglomerate. Premiering in Japan, live streamed in Japan with the creator or there was like a producer there to accept the award. It's a big deal. At that point, when they accept the award, they must be like, huh, the West are onto something here. Yeah. So like that award, actually, when you take it in the context of this multifaceted like web of intricacy and relationships, is such a big deal. That in itself is advocacy as well. Yes. Right? So that's why the international influence using that example of edge, uh, cyberpunk edge runners is like actually one of the greatest examples because it's like not only in your face in terms of you can see the like significance, but behind the scenes or not readily apparent has also rippling effects, all because it is an international product with international influence where the game used to be a tabletop RPG with turned a, into a video game by I think a Swedish studio CD Project Red I, I forgot I got that up right or maybe uh, Icelandic it, it's Nordic the, right Nordic maybe uh, I, I I don't want to um, misrepresent them but they're definitely European uh, so CD Project Red they're Polish <laughs> not even Nordic shit okay well just think about that whole thing. A Japanese anime winning an award in an award show from a competitor's product based on a tabletop role-playing game that had a recent expansion actually coming out as of recording, but was hyped to death done by a Polish studio. Like, it's international as fuck, dude. Yeah, we might have like ridiculed some of the decisions that Crunchyroll had made when they were doing the Crunchyroll. I mean, there's a lot to criticize, to be honest. But this could prove to be one of the more pivotal, pivotal, eye-opening moments in terms of showing the producers of anime. We've had many years of success outside of Japan. Let's do something about it. And when the world as a whole starts to consume anime more and more just because there are more and more fans casual dedicated or anything in between when shit hits the fan or certain controversies or mispractices malpractices happen to a certain extent people are gonna be calling them out on it i think that pretty much wraps up our thoughts on uh animation production committees and uh how we could potentially change the world of anime and manga Maybe 
it's a long shot. We were far, far, far away from actually seeing any changes. But hopefully by listening to this, you're a little bit more aware of what actually goes behind the scenes and not just actually making anime. It's 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 a whole dark web of just mismanagement, conglomeracy, money going to places where it shouldn't. And in the end, who really benefits? Okay, cool. The consumers benefit. We get to see more anime. But do we really benefit at the end of the day if it means that we also have potential studios shutting down? Like what all all it takes is for several worker deaths or overexhaustions, studios shutting down, or just non-cooperation within the industry to just bring everything down. And I don't want it to get to that level because as much as I am lazy with watching anime now, I still want this industry to thrive. But it has to thrive sustainably. And the way it's running now is far from sustainable. I was going to say a bunch of stuff, but I think that very much encapsulates not only my thoughts, but it's a very good way to wrap up the podcast. Uh, I will say one last thing, which is the content of what we say in this episode is very dry. I get that. We talked about numbers, proportions, who gets what distributed, and it might be like hurting your brain, and I'm not going to fault you for it, in terms of trying to think of how everything is interwoven and interconnected. But one of the reasons why Will and I are so passionate about it, despite that we usually take a break, but we did, we basically, I forgot about it even, is this is actually something that when I was doing the research was actually, the more I thought about it, the more important and passionate I became about addressing it as a podcast episode. I, I didn't tell Will, but I was going to even be like, we should probably do an EP episode on this. But regardless, I'm glad that we have it out there. I know that it may seem very, was it nebulous or just kind of like, I don't know why this is relevant to me as a consumer, even though you kind of laid it out to a certain extent. And I'm not going to fault you for that. This is going to change my viewing patterns of anime in the immediate future? Probably not. Or probably never will. And I'm not going to fault you for that either. But I think if this changes one person or in, in like you know, educates, you know, X amount of people on this, it's a win because it's a big deal. Having the knowledge of it is better than leaving things unsaid. We can talk about harems, which we will talk about next episode. We can talk about the latest and greatest of, uh, you know, X seasonal anime, whatever. We can talk about the next gotta watch them all. But Every once in a while, Will and I have to wax lyrical on some real, raw, dry shit. Because it's an industry we care about. Despite the fact that we haven't watched as much anime or read as much manga recently, it's still something that we hold dear to our heart. And yeah, it's more academic-oriented, but I also think that sometimes we kind of dig these issues. It's also like one of the biggest issues right now, despite it not appearing so, because that's kind of the point. But what is kind of the point is trying to reach us, and you have various ways that you can do so, such as our email, gapallet at gmail.com. That's G-A-P-A-L-E-T-T-E, all lowercase, all one word. Using the handle at palletgood for X, formerly Twitter. I fucking hate it when I have to say that all the time. At palletgood, 
capital P and capital G, all one word, or through our GAP Discord server using the invite link in the show description. We have a website. We encourage you to check it out, www.goodanimepalette.com, all lowercase, all one word. Music credits for this episode, one and done. Our intro music is Cold as Ice, the instrumental version by Particles. That's probably the only time it will show up this podcast season. Maybe we'll use it for next season. Who knows? Uh, Our break music, even though we did not use it, is Not Gonna Wake Up, the instrumental version by Mind Me. And our outro music is Like the Ocean by The Big Letdown. You can always support the music artists that we feature by listening to Spotify, Apple Music, or other various music listening platforms. And our royalty-free music was provided by Epidemic Sound. If you're interested, you can always sign up using the referral link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. So, Will, now that uh, the committee of two people, you and I, have produced this episode of After Dark... How are we going to split the revenue? Uh, we'll have to figure that out because my final words for this episode is I got to produce a lot of pee. <laughs>